they were not the kind of families I had seen growing up in a slum. They were different. They were happy, and they their interaction was positive and loving, right? And I thought, wait, there are actually families out there that don't abuse each other. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so that's when I thought I am going to break away from the life I knew in the slum. I'm not going to live like that anymore because now my eyes were opened and I have seen there's a possibility for a better life. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Allison Hong Merrill. Allison is a Taiwanese immigrant in Utah. She holds an MFA from Vermont College of Fine Arts and writes in both Chinese and English, both fiction and creative nonfiction, which means she spends a lot of time looking up words on dictionary.com. Her work has won both national and international awards. Her memoir, 99 Fire Hoops, comes out on September 21st, 2021. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for having me, Ronit. Such a great honor. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. The honor is mine. I just love that we have met and that I got to read your book and that you are my guest now. It is so exciting to be able to spend more time with your story. So for people who are not familiar with what your memoir covers, can you talk a little bit about, and, and then we'll dive into the story itself, can you talk a little bit about what the memoir is about? Of course, thank you so much for the beautiful question. So my memoir is titled 99 Fire Hoops, and it's about how choices can empower all of us to overcome challenges. And it's illustrated by my experience as an abandoned immigrant bride determined to create my own destiny. So really there are several different themes in my memoir. and. First and foremost, the greatest or number one theme is choice. I believe in choice. I believe in the power of choice. Because you know, the, um, it has been said that your life is a summary of your choices. Mm. And my experience is that there are three kinds of choices that we can make for ourselves. Ooh, 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 I love a good list and a good tip for living. So <laughs> please tell me, tell me these. Of course, thank you. So the, I think the first kind of choices are trivial. For example, what shirt do I wear today? You know, that's a choice. We all make that choice every day to choose our outfit. But that, that kind of choice, um, that kind of choices are trivial. The second kind of choices are important. For example, you can choose to be kind, respectful, and generous like Ronit, right? (laughs) (laughs) And essentially, this kind of choices is to choose the kind of person you want to be, right? Mm -hmm. And the third kind of choices have eternal consequences. For example, who should I marry? Who should I build a family with? Or who should I have children with? 
right? Mm -hmm. And another example of this kind of choice, uh, this kind of choices is to break generational cycle mm -hmm. of abuses or addictions. Like for example, I I grew up in a family that had generations, uh, generational cycles of alcoholism and domestic violence. You know, I can choose to break away from that. Mm -hmm. I don't have to repeat the cycle. So that's that's a choice I can make for myself. Mm -hmm. And this is powerful because essentially you're choosing your own path, mm -hmm. right? So in my memoir, the protagonist, Allison, she chooses to break the cultural expectation for women to submit to men's will or for women to wait silently for men to tell them what to do, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so this protagonist, Allison, she chooses to break away from cultural conditioning that that kind of choices takes courage and faith. But I feel like if, if it's the right thing to do, then it's worth doing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. everyone, everyone has the power to choose what works for himself. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's it's when you say it this way, it seems so clear and collected and obvious and also almost as if you've always known this. But I think, you know, it's hard one. This kind of information about how to live is usually mm -hmm. a pretty hard one, yes. unless maybe you've won the lottery and you had no real difficulty growing up and you just have sort of a natural confidence and faith, which is also beautiful. Yes. When... When did you come to this understanding uh, that you wanted to break this cycle? Or when maybe did you realize you were breaking the cycle? That's such a meaningful question. Thank you so much for asking, Ronit. Mm. So I think it went back to when I was 15. I was 15 years old, and I grew up in a slum in a fishing village in Taiwan. And it's not only my family that had generational cycles of abuse and substance abuse and domestic violence. It wasn't just my family, it's my entire neighborhood, you know? Mm -hmm. um, all the neighbors and we had brothels mm -hmm. <laughs> rampant. It was just everywhere on my street. Mm -hmm. And so growing up watching people living their life that way, I thought that was my future. I thought that was just, you know, I, I would grow up to be a prostitute. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any better. But mm -hmm. then um, there, there was this um, a set of missionaries, American missionaries, from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they had this nickname for the church that the people called the Mormons. Mm -hmm. So there were Mormon missionaries they came to our family home and started to share the gospel message with my family and invited us to the church, to their meeting house. And so the first time I went, I saw families sitting in the chapel and they were not the kind of families I had seen growing up in the slum. They were different. They were happy and they their interaction was positive and loving, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, wait, there are actually families out there that don't abuse each other. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that's when I thought I am going to break away from the life I knew in the slum. I'm not going to live like that anymore. 
because now my eyes were opened and I have seen there's a possibility for a better life. And that's my observation in the church when I watch people's examples, the way they show love and care and kindness to one another. And that's when I knew I'm going to break away. Mm-hmm. And you're, you have uh, a couple of siblings and you lived with your father after your mom was no longer there because of a divorce. And it's a very complex story. And I certainly don't want to try to summarize it, you know, very, you know, quickly here. But did the other people in your family get drawn to the church the way you did? Yes, everyone. My sisters, they all joined the church and they're all living the teachings of Christ and so they're very happy they're blessed mm-hmm. my father is actually uh, here in America he is living with my sisters and he's the one who still rejects um, the Mormon teachings and the Mormon way of life and he continues to stay true to <laughs> The lifestyle, <laughs> the lifestyle that he has chosen to live his entire life, meaning, you know, alcohol and um, having a lot of girlfriends, you know, oh, that, that, that's the way, that's his choice. And mm-hmm. I have learned to respect him and his choice because I would love people to respect my choice too. You know, right. right, and so right. I thought, well, that must be challenging, though, for your sister mm-hmm. to have him there. Exactly. And so my sister is a saint. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, wow. Really a saint. Um, so in your memoir, and, and it's still so hard for me to wrap my head around, although I guess people grow up in all kinds of ways. And it's it's kind of silly for me not to understand this. But you write so clearly about your early life and your very fraught relationship with your mother. Your your book covers so many different things and, and there's a large portion of it that takes place in the States and with your new husband and then how you find your way after that. But your early life in Taiwan and this pivotal relationship with your mom shapes so much of your thinking that you then break away from. And so the relationship with your mom is one I'm really interested in talking about. And one of the the things that she seemed to say to you over and over again, which you talk about in your book, is basically just, I forgot the exact terminology, maybe you can chime in, but how worthless you are and how bad uh, you were as a kid and how much she didn't want you basically that's kind right. of what she was feeding you the whole time right can you talk a little bit about that yes of course so my mother she didn't live a long life right mm-hmm. so i only lived with her in the same house for the first 14 years of my life and during those 14 years when we lived in the same house we we didn't have a lot of interactions so it was more like she was just a female adult in the mm-hmm. same house. And it could have been anyone else. It could have been a cashier in a grocery store or a, you know, a bank teller. It could have been any stranger. Mm-hmm. So to me, she, she, that's, that's the kind of relationship we had. Mm-hmm. And she, she and my father did not have a happy marriage. They fought all the time. And every time they had a fight and my mother was so angry, she would blame me for 
for her miseries because、mm-hmm. she she would say, well, it, if it had not been you, if you had not been born, I wouldn't have to stay in this marriage,、mm-hmm. right? Suffering like this, and then she would go on to say that I wish I had suffocated you when you were a baby, but I didn't, and so now here's the consequences: I'm suffering. Because I didn't kill you when you were a baby. Now, what、mm-hmm. what kind of mother would say that, right?、Mm-hmm. But then the thing is, I was so young and so little, and I believe everything she said, and so I thought that was my fault、mm-hmm. that she was miserable. And you,、uh, Ronit, in your book, you mentioned the same kind of、uh, desire and yearning for. Family connections.、Mm-hmm. You yearn for your mother when she was gone, yeah, and yeah. you wanted her to come back. And you, in a way, you felt you felt like it was your fault that you were not able to keep her,、mm-hmm. to make her stay, right? And so you were a little girl, but you 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 assumed that responsibility,、mm-hmm. and you thought it was all because of you. Maybe you were not. Good enough, or、mm-hmm. you know, and that affected your self-esteem. I, I'm assuming、yeah. in, in a way that you just feel like、oh, I'm just not good.、I'm、Definitely, not, you sort、yeah. of internal you internalize it without realizing it. Yeah, and it becomes so much part of you. And did you feel the same? Yes, I feel, I feel rotten,、mm-hmm. right? Because、mm-hmm. other other kids, their mothers won't say that to them, and、mm-hmm. so they must have been good kids.、Mm-hmm. And so, what's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. That my mother would wanted to kill me, you know. She she would always say she regretted not having killed me, and so now I look back, I think she suffered from obviously mental illness, right?、Mm-hmm. Because,、um, but but back then, back in the seventies in Taiwan, nobody talked about mental illness,、mm-hmm. not really, right? And so we didn't know, and she didn't know. I. I thought it was just me, me, me. You know, I'm such a bad person. Did she treat、girl. your sisters just as poorly? Yes.、Mm-hmm. Yes. So where did you get your? Where did I mean your father? When you depict him in the book, it's it's really to me it's it's something I want to point out because I never get the sense, and and this is a mark of really good memoirs too. I don't ever get a sense of you wallowing in this story. You talk about it matter of factly, and I sort of just shook my head so many times, especially in the early years of your life that you write about.、Uh, how did you do this? And you know, how could you withstand all of these these negative things and these dangerous And violent things that were happening to you, and the way you write about it, it sort of seems like you just kind of kept going forward. You kept going ahead, and you question it, and you look at it in the writing. You know, I this is what I was listening to. This is what she told me, but you don't really woe is me at all, right?、Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering. If it was painful for, I have a two-part question: Was it painful for you to write, or was it matter of fact for you? And secondly, where did you get before you you got connected with the church? Where did you get that little grain or glimmer of feeling that maybe you weren't the worst person? And and I wonder if it was maybe those extended family,、mm-hmm. those people that you got to see. So those two questions, long long question ramp up. Yes. So、uh, thank you so much for asking all these. 
wonderful questions for me. You're so amazing. So. <laughs> you always, Allison, you always, I always like when I see you, when we talk on social media, I'm always like, if I say something, then she's going to say something even nicer. And I feel like I'm, I'm basically like baiting you to say something nice to me. Because you're always so sweet. No, we're in the <laughs> kindness competition. <laughs> See who can be the kindest. But I learned it from you. You're always so wonderful. Just, oh, my oh, my God. It's so nice to Stop everyone. Oh so, <laughs> you know, when you're writing a memoir. So I'm now 48 years old. Me I too, s- me too. I know. We're like twins. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, uh, being a more mature women now and mm-hmm. to to write this memoir and you look back with a more mature attitude with more objective attitude you know mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot of things you go oh you know I, I remember feeling that when I was little and why is it that I wasn't angry when my parents told me things like that and why mm-hmm. is it that I didn't, didn't talk back why is it that I didn't fight back you know because there were so many okay so the thing is Ronit, I grew up in a slum, and my neighbors, my the kids in my neighborhood, they suffer mm. <laughs> just the same. Mm. So I didn't know any better. I, mm-hmm. in my mind, I thought that's just how children should live. <laughs> right, know? right. You weren't you weren't feeling sorry for yourself because no. this is what everyone had. <laughs> yes, and so my neighbors, uh, the kids in the neighborhood, the parents would beat them up. <laughs> and they will howl, they will wail, and they would just scream for mm. help. And we could all hear, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, you would just shrug. You shrug your shoulder and say, oh, okay, somebody's getting beat up. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So, so you're saying you actually were sort of plucky that way. You yeah. just kind of kept motoring on. Yeah, because I didn't know any better. Um, And then I remember the first time I watched an American TV show. Um, I watched the Cosby show, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the Cosby with Bill Cosby. Yeah. Um, So in the show, I mean, he was a wonderful father, (laughs) right? Yeah. Uh, And the family was a model family. Mm -hmm. I mean, the parents, both parents were highly educated. Mm-hmm. And they have successful career. One, the father is a doctor, the mother is a lawyer, and the kids. I mean, the kids are just kids, you know. They make mm-hmm. they make mistakes, but in the end, you could just feel the love that the parents have for the kids, and the kids have for their parents. And I watched that. I could not believe. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's just a TV show. That's not real. That's not mm-hmm. real. Until I went to church, to the Mormon church, right? Mm-hmm. And I saw the families in sitting in the chapel. They were Chinese. <laughs> Those were Chinese families. They were not Ameri- an American family in an American TV show. No, they were real Chinese families. And I thought, what? <laughs> really? You mean Chinese people can live like Americans too? <laughs> yeah. Right. And so that's when I thought, hey, Maybe I can live that way. Maybe if I choose to live that kind of life, I can have that kind of life. I don't have to repeat mm. my parents' um, misery. Mm. And you have three children and a grandchild now. And, yes. and I'm, you know, I, I just wonder, as a mom, when you were writing this book, when you were going through these memories and getting things down, 
did you were you ever overtaken by any kind of emotion about the way you had to live when you were young? Yes, definitely. I remember so many horrible, <laughs> horrible events in my childhood. What my parents did, right? But now those horrible events and memories become empowering to me because I use them as a reminder to not do the same to my children. Mm -hmm. And I can give you some examples. One of them was <laughs> when I was a kid in, uh, so when I was a kindergartner, my mother was supposed to go to school to pick me up when school was out, she never did. Mm -hmm. So I waited for her. So uh, we had, so my, my school campus was, there was, it was like a castle in a way that there was this moat like mm -hmm. river that mm -hmm. surround the entire campus. So there was four, there were four bridges in front of the gates. So there were four gates, the front gate, back gate, and the side gates, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, my mother told me to wait on the bridge at the front gate. And I waited for her. She didn't come. I waited for her and the sun went down and the mosquitoes came out and I was eaten alive and my friends, my class, my classmates in my kindergarten class, they already went home and came out on their bicycles mm. to play and they saw me still waiting on the bridge and they said, hey, why are you still here? Why are you still wearing your uniform? And I said, because I'm still waiting for my mom. And they were like, but it's dinner time. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> right? So from that experience, I have learned when I became a when I became a young mother, mm -hmm. I decided I would never ever <laughs> make my children wait until mm -hmm. the sun went down and the mosquitoes came out. So I was always very motivated to be the first one. Mm -hmm. the first car in the pickup mm -hmm. line and so my kids when the the bell rang and they ran out of the school gate they would see me i'm the first one in line right and right. so I, I i actually did that for years mm. and another thing i remember learning from my parents mistake was that my father would make a promise to us like for example he would promise to take me hiking with him Right. Mm -hmm. And he would say something like, oh, I'll take you hiking on Saturday morning. And then Saturday morning came. He wasn't preparing to go hiking. And so I would ask him, I said, yeah, when are we going hiking? And he's like, oh, I, I can't go today. I'll take you another day. Right. And mm -hmm. he will always say this another mm -hmm. day, another day, another day. And so pretty quickly, I learned to hate that term. Mm -hmm. Whenever people say another day, I knew that means never. That means mm -hmm. they will never do it. Mm -hmm. And so when I became a young mother, I remember that example from my dad, right? So whenever I promised my kids I would do something, I would be like, okay, I made a promise. I cannot not keep that promise. Right. And if yeah. I actually, if you, but, but life is life. Sometimes emergencies yes. happen, you know, stuff happens. And if you, if somehow I cannot keep my promise, I had to restore integrity. I had to tell my children, sorry, I, you know, explain to them why, why is it that I can't keep my promise, but then make a new promise. 
mm-hmm. and do everything I can to keep that new promise, to restore integrity. And I think people understand we're, we are all humans. We make mistakes and sometimes, and after all, we live in a fallen world, okay? There's mm-hmm. so many things that are just not going the right way. And so, but you don't intentionally lie to your kids. You don't make empty promises yes. and eventually they just lose their trust in you, you know? Mm-hmm. So those are the things I learned from my parents that helped me mm-hmm. when, when I myself become a parent and I don't repeat this. Can you, things. are you able to relax in relationships now? I mean, because I know for me, um, you know, I had sort of an anxious attachment to my mom and this sort of insecure attachment growing up and I was sort of like in this parent role and so it was hard for me to relax and trust that um, and we you and I kind of talked about this in the beginning of the interview that I was enough and that people wouldn't just kind of skitter off and leave Um, did you have any of that because you you got married really young Mm -hmm. and and I guess we should talk about that in a second but did you have any insecurity about your value you know, I struggle with that. I have to admit, even though I do have the church teachings really helped me to mm-hmm. understand my, the worth of my soul. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know I, I am important and mm-hmm. I'm not a mistake. I'm not garbage. Like my parents told me, I'm not mm-hmm. any of that. I know the worth of my soul, but still, I feel like when you, you know, when you grow up in a slum and with that kind of the, all that trash conditioning telling mm-hmm. you you're worthless, you sort of buy it. You just buy it. Sure. You, you believe, you know, and so it takes a lot of inner work and I'm still working on it because I get discouraged very easily. And if things don't go my way like I, I'm ambitious and I will set goals but when when I can't reach my goal I immediately goes back to that default thinking oh I'm not good enough right 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 it seems to make a statement about your worth as a person yeah rather yeah. than looking at it uh, and realizing it's just one thing and it doesn't mean anything about you. Right. Did you have time, like, what was funny for me, and I'm going to ask you this question too, about what was the most difficult part to write in the memoir. For me, there was one area that surprised me in its difficulty, and there was another area that took me by surprise where I hadn't really thought about this particular living situation I had in Newark, New Jersey with my dad and his girlfriend and her two daughters. Yeah. And when I started writing about it for the first time, I had sort of a visceral and physical reaction oh. because I hadn't spent any time thinking about it it was just sort of one in a series of places I lived but when I kind of slowed it down slowed Uh the tape down and really looked at what was going on I felt really uh upset about it and I'm wondering if you ever had that when you were going through your history yes I do and by the way I I want to tell you how much I love well I love your entire book every, every page (laughs) <laughs> you're just amazing. You, you're such a beautiful storyteller. And you, your oh story. Oh, my gosh. For me, let me tell you, I can see you. When I read your book, I can see you as that little girl. I can see you living a life yearning for your mother. And I can feel that emotion, that or frustration or the disappointment I can feel anyway you're just this one amazing writer I don't even know how you 
You did it. You're- Listener, this is why I had Allison Harmer <laughs> along. This is the real reason. So she could compliment me the entire time. <laughs> because thank you were so awesome. No. I love your book. Thank and you. I really I love do. yours. Oh, thank you. Here we go. It's our competition. Who can be kinder? <laughs> <laughs> and so, I re- yes, I remember that scene in your book where you and your father's girlfriend and her two daughters you mm-hmm. went out to get was a pizza yeah we went out we went out to get um yeah the pizza well there was a pizza and an ice cream scene yeah, One, yeah, yeah. there was a beat up mugging scene yeah yeah, pizza. yeah 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 oh my gosh okay that scene i was so scared for you anyway so i'm like <laughs> yes i can i can see how when you were writing that scene as mm-hmm. you know as an adult woman now you look back and you're writing about it i can see how the the experience um will bring you visceral emotions like yeah. you're li- reliving that um did you have that too experience. because you had some really difficult times I and mean, you were you were actually mm-hmm. contemplating ending your life when you got to the states did you yes was it difficult to write about that that part is hard to write but not as hard as the part when i write about my mother's uh funeral Mm. My mother was cremated, and that that scene. Well, when I okay, <laughs> I know some readers might not have read that part, but there was a part in my book where the the protagonist Allison she goes to her mother to her mother's funeral, right? But she flies back to Taiwan for the funeral. She barely arrived in Taiwan, and then she goes to the funeral. So she's still jet lagged right and so basically she's like uh everything was hazy yeah (laughs) in her mind like oh falling asleep because you know she's still adjusting to the time in taiwan so when i went through that experience i was sort of in and out of you know this exhaustion but as i as I was writing about that scene, the cremation scene, details came back to me. And I remember, and I remember that feeling of loss and grief. I think that was when I started to grieve my mother's passing. That was like 30 years later, well, not, not that long. How many years? My math is bad. She passed away in 97. Oh, I can't do math. I stopped doing math a couple of years ago. I just decided oh. not to do it. <laughs> okay, so, so I think 20 years. Okay, so 20 yeah. years after her passing, I finally started to feel the grief, the loss. And and that's when I understood, you know what? I always loved her. Mm-hmm. Why is it that I didn't tell her I loved her when she was still alive? Mm-hmm. You know, and now it's too late. Mm-hmm. But But then that's when I really... Ronnie, is it too late to regret? <laughs> you, re- you suddenly have this regret that why wasn't I a better daughter? Why wasn't I kinder mm. to her? I mean, I'm I'm trying to be kind to everyone, mm. but why is it that I was never kind to my own mother? But I mean, how do you see? For me, I think, wait a minute though, your mom treated you terribly. Yeah, and and e- any love that you had, even if you did in your core lover. How do you express that to someone who's constantly beating you up? I mean, emotionally and even physically. Right, right. So as a child, obviously, I was reacting. I was just reacting to her action. 
mm. right? So if she was mean to me, I was gonna react mean back. You know, mean mm. means I will never tell her I love her. Of course, at the time, I did not feel love for her. You、mm. know,、mm-hmm. I was resentful. Anyway, but now, now I'm a mother, and I know how you can never be the perfect mother. Mm-hmm. Because mothers are human beings who make mistakes too. They're just doing their best,、mm-hmm. and so now, I think my mother probably did her best too.、Mm-hmm. That's all、yeah. I can assume. Yeah, I mean the best with what she had, right? And, right. and that's that's part of that idea of accepting and not. Being angry forever and、right. lamenting what happened、mm-hmm. is understanding that perhaps someone did what they could do at the time,、yeah. and it, it didn't. It didn't give you what you wanted, right? right? But that doesn't mean, you know, you can't change it. Right. But you can change your orientation to the way things happened. Exactly.、Um, and I feel like,、uh, you know, I'd be remiss. I don't want to give away your whole book, but you know, there's. I, I want to say that your book has this bracing energy. You, it's like this. It's like you're sitting in a room with you. Allison, and you're talking, and you're just—it's like a page turner for me. Your your book was a page turner. Oh my gosh, and, you're so kind. And you know, I just felt like your your voice—you know, your、uh, your writer voice was so strong. The protagonist Allison's voice was so strong and so engaging, and so to me, very very grounded with within who you are. And 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 you really take the the reader on this journey of sort of credulousness. You take the the reader on this journey of sort of like, wait, what is happening right now? And I don't want you to have to give away the whole book because I do want people to read it and and be curious about it. But the basic the basic line of your book that that is really the hook is the idea that you got married and you came you came to the states and、right. then your new husband in your new country basically. Like just didn't even come through, and then he left you. Right. So, can you share a little bit about that in the way that you want to share? Of course, thank you. The protagonist Allison meets a Mormon missionary in Taiwan, and this Mormon missionary's name is Cameron, right? And、mm-hmm. so she has a crush on Cameron, and but the missionaries. Has certain rules they need to abide by, and one of them is that they cannot have a romantic relationship during their service as、mm-hmm. missionaries.、Mm-hmm. So, and Allison knows that, knows about the rules, so she doesn't approach Cameron and say, "Oh, I like you," and that's that's date, you know.、Mm-hmm. She doesn't because she understands the rule, and Cameron he keeps the rules too. That that one rule he keeps. And so, but then after Cameron's service, he proposed. Well, proposed. Yes, he he goes to Taiwan to marry Allison, right? So Allison、mm-hmm. is like, oh, I already love him for all these years, and now it's my dream comes true, and、mm-hmm. you know. So she goes to Texas to be with Cameron, and so they're married and live in Texas and. Now here's the thing. Allison doesn't really speak English. I mean, she understands school English. Like, hi, how are you? I'm、mm. good, thank you. There are a lot of stores in the city, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs>、yeah. how's that gonna help you in real life? And so she comes, to, and plus she has this really horrible accent, like this Chinese accent or Asian accent. She cannot distinguish L and R. So she can't even say her own name, Allison. She says, she will say, she will say something like, "Hi, my name is 
every song. Or, okay, Ronnie, I can't even go back to that accent anymore. <laughs> I don't know how I said it back then. Anyway, she is helpless when it comes to speaking or communicating with people in America. So she depends heavily. Um, Cameron's help because you know Cameron served his mission in Taiwan. He's fluent in Chinese, so he will be her mouthpiece, mm-hmm. her interpreter. So he speaks for her in a way. She is voiceless. Yeah, her voice is silent because of. Well, at first it was accidental, and then later on becomes intentional that mm-hmm. Cameron will try to silence her. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. and also Allison doesn't have family. In America, she doesn't really have friends.、Mm. So Cameron is her entire world. And then, sixteen months after they get married, Cameron <laughs> abandons her in Texas.、Mm. And so now, and he takes all the money away too, right? Oh so, yes, all the money she got from her、uh, family, right? Like this, this amazing amount of money that was saved for her. Yeah. And so now she is homeless, almost homeless, right? Because they 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 rent this apartment near campus in Texas, but Cameron turns in the keys and he terminated the terminate the contract and he、mm-hmm. cuts up all utilities and he takes the money and now Allison is left with nothing. So that's you know that's the beginning of the book. And how、yes. Allison is put in that difficult situation, and how she is going to make one choice at a time to get herself out of that that、right? challenge. Yeah, and so this is a super resilience memoir. I mean, I you know I don't know what your intention was when you went to write it. If you knew, and and I know that's a hard question. You know, people ask you about the writing process when you're a writer, and、mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting question. But I don't know that we always know what we're doing when we when we get started. Yeah.、Um, did you have any qualms? I'll ask you a question that I get asked a lot. Did you have any qualms at all about sharing your story and you know the privacy issue with your family or、uh-huh. you know your your current Family or your、yeah. family of origin did did that ever figure in for you? Yes, yes. I think the nature of the story I'm telling puts me in a very difficult situation where I worry about revealing and invading other or violating、mm-hmm. other people's privacy. Right. So from the beginning of my writing process, work.、Um, From the beginning of my writing process of this memoir, I change everyone's name、mm-hmm. in the book, and I change locations of events, and I change identifying characteristics and details.、Mm-hmm. Um, so Cameron is not Cameron, <laughs>、mm-hmm. okay, so, and but Allison is Allison. So I I didn't change my name, but I do go by a pseudonym as an author. Mm-hmm. So that when people Google my name, they find me, but they cannot find Cameron,、ah, and、know. they cannot find my current husband, and they cannot find my children.、Mm, right? Very smart. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and also, I I love my husband, my current husband, very very much. I 
I sometimes I tell him, and this is true. I don't think he understands how deeply I love him. I <laughs> I tell him, but I don't think he knows. You know, because like, oh, you tell your husband, I love you, and sometimes mm. it's just like, hey, how are you? Good. Have a great day. You know, like, do you yeah. really mean it? Uh, uh, I hope you do. You know. So when I tell my husband I love you, I feel that he feels it's just one of those. Hey, honey, how are you? Good. Okay, have a great day at work. Like that, right? But yeah. I truly mean I love him, and I don't、mm. think he knows how much I love him. Right? Okay.、Mm. I will get him a kidney <laughs> if he needs one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, do you? So, do you ever really get it? Do you make him stay still and look at you and really get it? Yes. Do you, do you, like, do you like listen? You have to listen. I'm telling you this all the time. He thinks I'm a goof, right? He's like, <laughs> "Why are you so funny?" Okay, but the thing is, okay, Rooney. When I say、mm-hmm. I love him, I have to show him actions to prove、mm-hmm. how. But this is just me voluntarily. Voluntarily doing it, he doesn't demand me to show him how much I love him, but I want to show him I love him. So, in my memoir, I dedicate the book to him and our three children, but I don't dedicate the book to his real name.、Mm-hmm. So I use his Chinese name,、mm-hmm. which doesn't—it's not on any legal document. So if people want to Google it, they won't find him either. Mm-hmm. Right, and my children's Chinese name—they're not on any legal documents either. So people, if people want to Google those names, they won't find anything either.、Mm-hmm. And like I said, I change everyone's name. So my current husband's name in the book is not his real name. So if people Google him, they won't find him.、Mm-hmm. So I, I really do the work to protect everyone's privacy because、yeah. I feel like I owe them. That's at least what I can do,、mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't feel threatened that I'm exposing them in public eye, which、mm-hmm. is not my intention. My intention is to share this message that we all have the power to choose. We all have the power to choose for ourselves the path we want. We want to be on the kind of person we want to be. And like Roni, I believe you have made so many. Wonderful choices in your life to help you become the person you are today. You know where you are today, the the kind of family you have today, the joy and peace and love that you feel in your everyday life. They all come from your choices, and you constantly make good choices. That's why you have good consequences,、mm. and that's exactly the kind of message I want to share with the world, using my experience as an illustration. Hmm. Yes. Yes. And and I guess I want to ask this question in our in our remaining few minutes is, as a woman of faith, and you you know you are a woman a devout woman, and you've talked about choices. We started the conversation with choices, and I'm wondering what your perspective is of the people who, people that we know, we all know who who aren't enjoying their life right now, or. Have been met with a lot of difficulty and are doing their best, but don't have what they need yet, or are struggling. What is your understanding of that as a woman of faith? That's an excellent question, Ronit, <laughs> and I would love to answer that. But before before I answer that question, I would like to quote 
Mr. Rogers, Mr. Fred Rogers,、mm-hmm. he said this. He said, "When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, 'Look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping.'"、Mm-hmm. Right? And that say, that quote stays with me all these years, because in a way, we can choose to be helpers. Mm-hmm. We do have the power to choose to be helpers, right? And so, in my memoir, there's several helpers. For example, Jane, the apartment manager,、mm-hmm. and the bishops from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints who gave me money, right?、Mm-hmm. And then you have the Bushmans, and、yes. then you have Ethan, the neighbor from Canada,、mm-hmm. and then there's Lily, right? Lily,、mm-hmm. she's a helper too. So you and I, we can choose to be helpers. And the help we give others doesn't need to be astronomical. We can choose to be kind, like what you're doing, right?、Mm-hmm. You, you always kind to others, and that's a choice.、Mm-hmm. So sometimes a small smile is all it takes to brighten somebody's day, and we、mm-hmm. can choose to lift up the hands that hang down and strengthen、mm-hmm. the feeble knees. That's what I learned in the church. People around you. Who are going through hard times, but just looking at them, you won't know. And so it's best not to judge people so quickly,、mm-hmm. right? And not to judge other people is being kind. Is is being kind to others, and that's a great choice,、mm-hmm. right?、Mm-hmm. And so, to answer your question, that's what we can do to to help others、mm-hmm. when people are struggling. Um, we can do different things to help others, but ultimately, it's that choice: that do you or do you not choose to help, to offer、yeah. a smile, you know, to open. Right, I like、door. that because those those are just any anyone can do that.、Mm-hmm. Anyone can do that in any at any level,、yes. and it's all constructive, right? It's collaborative and it's it's yes. uplifting. Yes, and it makes you happy too. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so I guess what you're also saying is that if someone is under duress and having a really hard time,、mm-hmm. um, and do- doesn't have all the tools they need yet,、um, helpers are there to help them. And also, there's always room to not make someone else's life worse. There's always room、right. to to help and impact in some way, no matter how small. Exactly. To to make it better for somebody else. Right. Yeah. Just look look at Romy. Let's see what she does. There she goes. Do Don't do、same. it. Don't do it, Allison. <laughs> do what Rosie does. Get... <laughs> do what Allison does. So we're recording this just before your book comes out. So tell me real quick, and then we'll tell people where to find you.、Okay. How are you feeling about that? Your book is about to hit the shelves. I am so stressed. Because <laughs> we all have to be honest. I'm so stressed, and、oh, I need a vacation. <laughs> yeah, but I'm also very honored to be where I am right now because, you know, when you were a little kid growing up in a slum in a fishing village, <laughs> you would never think one day I'm going to become an author, you know, <laughs> and to tell my story. Yeah, and so yes. this is a dream come true, and I so appreciate and so I'm so grateful for. All the loving support that I receive from people like you, from so many wonderful friends, to support me and encourage me,、uh, to get me where I am today. 
So well, I'm going to say that you have you have all this support and people adore you because you Aww. are a light and you support people so well. <laughs> so there's you. the love fest even more. <laughs> so, Allison, where can people find your book and where is the best place for people to find you and connect with you? Thank you so much for asking that mm-hmm. question. So the best way to find me and to learn more about my book is to visit my website. That is my name, AllisonHolmerrill.com. And there will be all the information that you you will need (laughs) on my website and sign up for my email, please, Mm -hmm. so we can stay friends. (laughs) Yes, yes. And you do a beautiful, a beautiful newsletter, too. Your stuff is is so graphically, like, pleasing, so beautiful. So, okay. Oh, good. I complimented you without you having to give me one back. Thank you so much for coming into my life and for being my guest. And I'm so excited for people to find your book. Thank you so much, Bernice. Such, such a great honor to, first of all, have your friendship and to be on your show. I really do appreciate you for the beautiful person you are. You're just really, truly gorgeous inside and out. I don't know how you do it. I want to be Romy when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Allison wins. Allison wins. (laughs) Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening. 